called to gather as a body, covenanting with one another, committing to one another, rebuking one another, exhorting one another. We call ourselves a family. We say we have a family meeting. And we don't say that just to be corny. We actually believe that to be the case. That's what the New Testament talks about. Local, local churches, when Paul says, he calls them brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. And so if you've had a foreign experience of church that is one of just dry, all you do is you come on a Sunday morning, you sit and you pretend to listen and then you leave, that's not what a church is. A church is a body of people loving one another, broken for one another, praying for one another, caring for one another. And so just by way of reminder, that's what we want to do. When, we, when I come and I speak, when we come and we do things together, that's what we are. And so I will call you here today that don't feel that, that are frequent here or visitors, that's, that's what we want for you. We want to grow our body, grow the love of Christ to more people, and grow especially in the health that we have for that for one another. So um, as I speak for that this morning, that's what I'm thinking. When I think about exhorting and rejoicing, over the things that he's given us, I want us to be thinking as that together. Not me speaking it to you, but us together rejoicing and asking for hearts of thankfulness to our Savior that has done this in our place. And these are amazing things. And so um, I'll pray in a minute again and ask that we would be able to do that together. But um, So uh, a couple of, qu- couple of qualifications as I go, a couple other ones. I'm speaking out of a college ministry experience. Um, this has shaped my life. I do college ministry full-time. It's my gig. Um, I love it. And so there's things that I've been experienced through that, that life that have shaped and formed much of how I think, not the bulk of it, I don't think, but very helpful. And so when I talk about discipleship and mission, as we're going to talk about briefly this morning, there's many things that that's coming out of. And the thing that I find most helpful regarding discipleship and mission, I think, has been uh, grown and fostered by my experience of college ministry and wanting to share a little bit of that um, with you this morning. And secondly, thirdly, I guess, um, it's going to be a bit more topical than we're used to this morning. I'm going to be topically speaking, and so I would just exhort you, whenever anyone preaches from here, we're called as believers to always think and to always put it through the lens of the Holy Scriptures and say, is this true? Is this accurate? Where is the error? Where, Where can I repent from the Word of God? Even more so when someone speaks topically, with picking a topic and going to various scriptures and saying, here's why I think this is true. We need to be more cognizant. We need to be more careful in our minds and say, is this, is this true? Is it, where's the error in these things? And so I would call you to do that for me this morning and to me as I speak. So, so let me read Matthew 28. I'm not going to be expositing this scripture today. It became my, it's my foundation verse, and I hardly talk about it, so I don't know if that's wrong. But I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray one more time. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. This is after Jesus has risen uh, from the grave, and he's talking, the last thing recorded in Matthew of Jesus saying to his disciples, and he's talking to them. He says, they say, he says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for these words of Christ. Thank you for preserving them for us. Uh, Lord, we are thankful that you have loved us, and I just ask for your spirit once more, Lord, that you would speak this morning, that you would convict us of sin, you would cause us to be reflective upon our life as a body, Father, and reflective upon our personal lives in our homes, with our wives, with our children, Lord, with our friends, with our roommates. Uh, Lord, that you would cause us to reflect first upon our own hearts and souls, and then, Lord, that you would take these breadcrumbs and these fish that I offer, Lord, that you would multiply them for our good, for your glory, uh, together as a body, Lord, that we would believe these things that we're about to say. We would believe the scriptures, Lord, that our hearts would be broken for what breaks yours, Father and that we would rejoice for the things that you rejoice over. Lord, I ask that you do this now, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the two categories I'm going to talk about this morning is mission and disciple-making. I'm not sure how I, discipleship is the word we choose to use. 
especially in the college scene, I think is most prevalent. Mission and disciple-making, discipleship. We get some of these concepts, especially disciple-making, clearly from Matthew 28. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. As you go, make disciples. This is the command. And we know that it's Jesus, it's God who sovereignly works and calls his children to believe. And he gives us as tools, he uses us as, as children in this process. How are they to believe unless someone is to go and preach, right? And so we understand our calling is extremely significant to making disciples, knowing that it's the Lord who brings about fruit. He who plants and he who waters is nothing. When we talk about ministry work, we're nothing, only God who gives the growth. And yet he calls us to plant and he calls us to water, this mysterious mystery that he gives, this significant mystery. So talking about that, uh, talking about for this a couple reasons, um, I think in order to think about fulfilling or being faithful to the Great Commission, we have two categories to think about, mission, disciple-making. Um, I think both these things are necessary in our lives as individual believers and as a body that we'd be thinking in categories of our lives of how are we on mission, how are we be doing outreach, and how are we doing discipleship, how are we making disciples. We're called to both of those things. Um, also, another reason I think this is helpful is this has been extremely helpful for me personally to have categories of my thought to think about my Christian life. There's all sorts of categories you can give. The Bible gives all sorts of categories. And these two, for me, outreach and mission, or rather, outreach and disciple-making, have been very, very helpful to think about. Am I being faithful? Where am I being more faithful? Where am I, where am I being sinful and lacking in my life? And incidentally, I think another third reason this is just... This struck me yesterday as we have our annual meeting. If you're not a part of this body, we have pushed this back for three or four weeks now um, due to all sorts of reasons. Weather, I think, was one, and near death, and <laughs> sorts of things. And so we pushed back, and it just happens to land on today. And so I felt I feel privileged. I feel kind of extremely uh, incapable of this, but this is what we're doing. And so to take a moment and reflect upon the grace of God in our lives felt extremely appropriate as we have our annual meeting. We do this once a year. And so to spend a couple of hours together reflecting on how the year went, looking at our budget and, and where we're at with money, which is also extremely significant, I just felt a very blessed nature at, at preparing this to, to talk about. Here how, here's our categories as a body and how are we doing from my thought. So a couple, couple thoughts. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, disciple-making first. But when I say mission, um, I'm thinking of a few things. I'm helped a lot by a message. I think Dan Keller made this last night, but there's a couple CDs, a few CDs with a message that I ripped off a bunch of this. I, I believe this, but it was really helpful from a Desiring God conference last year. But when I say mission, I'm thinking of essentially two broad categories of things. Uh, evangelism or outreach, all these sorts of different words that we use to describe essentially an outward posture of our lives, both individually and as a body. So when we say we want to be on mission, we want to have a mission of our lives as a body, lots of things within that, but primarily what I think is helpful to think about an outward posture. So here we're as a body gathered together, and we want to be on mission for the unbelieving world, looking outwards, walking outwards, our hands are outwards, doing things for the lost and for the needy, for the broken. It's outwards, outside of us to others. We're pouring out. And so whether that be cross-cultural missions, as we support several different missionary agencies, as you can read back in our, one of our pamphlets, or missions to town, or benevolent offerings to give people that come in need, whatever that may be, individual evangelism, have those kind of things in your head. Uh, secondly, disciple-making, or discipleship, I'm primarily thinking the opposite, to some degree, is an inward, nurturing nature of our body. A building up of believers, primarily. I think both these things are incredibly vital and significant for our life as a body. So when we think about being outward-focused and outwards towards the unbelieving world, it's perhaps as equally significant that we be inward-focused, that we be pouring into each other as believers, that we be nurturing children and youth and adults and everyone in the knowledge of the Lord and teaching and modeling these things. And that's significant. When Jesus says... Uh, uh, baptize, teach them to obey everything I commanded. When we talk about making disciples, this is a long, difficult process. You don't just preach the gospel to somebody one time, pray for them, and you've made a disciple. You preach the gospel to them. You haven't made a disciple. 
Making disciples, living your life, building and pouring into one another and others is a long process and requires time and prayer and energy. So those are the two categories. Um, I think as a body, we always have areas, especially as we reflect upon a year of annualness together, we always have areas in which I think we faithfully excel at. I think God has blessed us. I'm going to walk through a list that God just laid on me. We have areas in which we faithfully excel at that we should rejoice over. And then we have areas that we don't excel at. We have, I think, areas that we perhaps neglect and areas that we probably sinfully are neglecting that we need to repent of individually and corporately. This will always be the case as our body. Always, always be the case because every single one of us in this room are a bunch of sinners with a bunch of indwelling sin, with anger and bitterness at this moment towards one another. We have stuff in our souls that's sinning against each other in the Lord. And yet, he's, and yet God says he sings over his children. He delights to give, to, to sing and, and loves us in the midst of that. That's his grace. That's his love for us. So when that's a reality, when it's a reality that I stand up here saying such things with all the sin in my soul, we know for fact that there's going to be areas in our life that we are just sinful at, that we need to repent of. And so I would definitely ask for prayers for the leadership that you would pray for us as leaders that we would be further sanctified and further better lead you in holiness and righteousness and that you would yourselves, we would be thinking as a body for that. So here's the spectrum of God's grace in all things of faithfully excelling and, and pouring into great amount of things that he's done for us, such as discipleship or mission or all, tons of other categories that I'm not going to talk about. Two, we need to repent and turn. We're, we're absent in these things. And there's a wide spectrum. So I think we have uh, further excelled and have been further faithful in the areas of discipleship, pouring into, nurturing, building up, teaching and modeling the love of Christ for one another than we have in mission. I think this is personally where we're at as a body. And we talk about this fairly frequently, and it is not cause for despair on the negative side. It's cause for rejoicing in all things. So that's where, that's where I'm coming at this morning, and I've been somewhat fearful, honestly, as I approach to say those things. I think this is where we're at. It's important, I think, for us to reflect. I call you to reflect on that. How do you do? How do you think we do as a body in the areas of both these categories? So I think we're more faithful in the area of discipleship, and I want to talk about that um, individually. I do, I do want to put a qualification. When I say that, what I primarily right now am thinking, as a body, how do we do? Not, I know every single person in our body, and I know that each and every one of them, each and every one of you, is better at discipleship than at mission. I know that's, in fact, not the case. Some of us in this room incredibly excel at, at evangelism and outreach and giving of their time and prayers beyond myself, for sure, by miles. And yet, and then for them, they may need to, in fact, get more involved. They need to be involved in fellowship. They need to get under someone who mentors them. They need to be in a community group. Like, we, we can't get to know each other super well sitting right here. That's why we have community groups, that we get together in small groups and do that. And there's other of us who are involved in five Bible studies on campus for college students, involved in a community group as well, go to prayer groups four times a week, get mentorship from, like, five different people throughout the week, and can't name five people of unbelievers, people that are headed to hell right now, in which you pray and evangelize. There's probably people in this room that can't name three. So there's this wide spectrum, and so I'm thinking as a body, and I'm thinking from my, my own mind and my own perception of these things. So there's a qualification for you. So I want to start with discipleship. I want to talk about that for a moment. I want to rejoice and just list a few things that God laid in my heart. If we're talking about nurturing, we're talking about pouring into one another. Um, I think as a believers, as a body, uh, as this church, we believe in the vitalness of raising up believers in the knowledge of the Lord in praying for and working to see the deepest, most important aspects of faith be taught and modeled. We really do believe this. This is evident. I praise God for This has become more evident to me that God has done that in our midst. And this is crazy significant in the Scriptures. Colossians 1.9 says this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul says this to the, the church at Colossae, or whatever you say that, and he says, we haven't ceased to pray for you. And this is what he asks. He asks this, asking the God that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So that's his prayer. That's his first prayer. He says, we, we, we pray this all the time. We haven't ceased to pray. Not first and foremost, he doesn't start with mission. In fact, he doesn't start with anything. What he says is, 
We want you to be filled with a knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So reflect upon that for just a moment. Paul's constant, unceasing prayer is they be filled with a knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. To be filled with God's will, to be filled with wisdom and understanding is incredibly significant. And that does not happen by chance. That does not happen by simply hoping. It happens by prayer and intentionality. He goes on. So be filled with that, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So I just find this a helpful sandwich. Paul is praying that they be filled with the knowledge of His will, so that they can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Being filled with God's will, a knowledge of who He is, is necessary, is foundational to actually walk a life that pleases Him. You don't just wake up. We don't just wake up and try. We must be built into. We must pray. We must have the kind of nurturing atmosphere that I think God has blessed us with. This is incredible. He's blessed us with this. That this would happen and we would walk in a manner worthy of Him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he sandwiches it at the end. Increasing in the knowledge of God. So we do have a propensity in our body to think deeply. We have a propensity to have, we have three classes downstairs right now in the Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. And we believe strongly in those. We teach, we, we want to go deep. And one reason we do that is because we want to increase in the knowledge of God. And so if you think of the word knowledge as an empty, dry intellectualism that is simply studying theology all day and learning stuff, that's not what it is. Increasing in the knowledge of God so that we can walk in a manner worthy. Another thing. God has placed in our souls as a body the desire for and, I think, the -the on-the-ground application of teaching, preaching, and training up believers. God has given us this. He's given us desire, and it's happening, that we would pour into believers and teach and preach. We believe it's essential and vital to think deeply and love deeply. That the balance of head and heart is extremely significant to see believers grow in faith and a passion for the Lord. We believe in this. God has blessed us with many different examples in our body of we think head and the heart are intimately connected. We don't want to just sing and praise and have worship sound in such a way that it draws up an emotionalism in your soul and then falls. We think the words that we sing are important. We teach, we spend oftentimes an hour preaching from the pulpit and have Sunday school and have all these things because we think that our head is intimately connected to the transformation of our soul. Be renewed. Be transformed into the likeness of Christ by the renewal of your mind. This is crazy important that a church does this, and God has blessed us with this lavishly, I think. So that we can have a passion for Jesus in the knowledge of his word. Second, third, whatever. He has blessed us with teachers who give themselves to studying God's word, praying for wisdom, and the ability to teach it to others, for the purpose of seeing them love Jesus more. God has blessed us, I think, with teachers that give themselves to study. You don't have that in every place. God has blessed us with teachers that give their energy and time and labor to studying the Word of God, to studying to know and, and preach and teach that we would have a passion for Jesus, that we would know Him more. God says He gives teachers and apostles and teachers and leaders to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is a necessary thing God has blessed us with. Reflect on this. Uh, Pray. I, in fact, encourage you to be thankful. Pray for thankfulness in your hearts right now as I walk through these things for this reality. This is a huge blessing. Fourth, He has given us leaders who give their time to organizing and preparing for the training of teaching of adults college students, youth, and kids. God has blessed us with this with many volunteers, many of whom are simply never recognized. Many of you volunteer hours of your week and don't get a bit of recognition for this. I think God has blessed us with leaders that with zeal lead forward in training up our youth, in training up college students, in teaching Sunday school classes. These are labors of love and these are, these are sacrifices in many regards. God has blessed us with this. This is a great thing He has given to us. God has given us a heart to not separate the different ages of our body 
but he's given us an intergenerational life. Uh, I think this through many means, such as community groups, or family events, or multi-generational Bible studies, slash Sunday schools. If you haven't noticed, we, we very much intentionally effort at doing that. It's a, it's a desire that he's grown in this body for the last few years to say, we don't want to segregate the little kids from the adults at all costs. We don't think separating the youth from college students and adults is actually ultimately good. We want to mix that. We want the wisdom of adults to speak into the children. We want the youth and passion of children and youth and college to influence the adults. We think that's healthy. We think that's biblical. And God has really, really blessed us with that. And yet at the same time, he's also blessed us with the ability to minister to individual groups. We have Kids for Truth. We have Equip. We have Essentials. We have adult Bible, Bible studies in Sunday schools. It's this amazing blessing. This was just landing on me yesterday of we really do have the specific ability to minister them in their age group, and yet we come together often. This is amazing. This is a huge blessing. Reflect upon that. Be, be thankful for that this morning. God has also given us as a body, I think in general, hearts that desire and yearn to know Jesus more, to see our sin, to rejoice more in the gospel, to love one another more. This is the prayer that Paul makes for the believers, that they would love one another, that they would be sanctified in truth. It's not very often you find the prayer in the scriptures, Paul's prayer for them, Lord, I pray that God grows your church to be bigger. He prays for them, have a heart that loves Jesus. Have a heart that hates your sin. I can name dozens of people that have a heart that hate their sin, that pray every day, constantly, Lord, give me a heart that hates sin. Give me a heart that hates sin. Give me a heart that loves you more. I don't have it enough. I want it more. I want it more. Lord, make that the theme of our body. Make contriteness of soul, a passion for the lost, uh, a desire for holiness, a desire for the word, time in the word, evangelism outreach. We pray that we want that. That's, that's everything. If our hearts are not in it as a body, if our hearts don't love Jesus, we're, we got nothing. And I can name dozens of people that excel in this mightily in prayer. They fervently pray for those most important things. That's what the apostles prayed for. That's what they prayed for as a body. Lord, grow us to be a megachurch. It's not our prayer. Our prayer is that grow faithfulness, grow holiness, grow a thirst for your name. As a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for the Lord. We, we pray and we seek on our knees. We say, Lord, make my soul pant. I want a desire for you. I want an overcoming nature, overcoming heart for your glory. That's what I want. That's what I want others to want. That is a unique thing. That is only given by the Spirit. We don't manufacture that. You can. You can pretend that. I can stand up here and speak in such a way that sounds like that. But in your soul, as you reflect upon yourself, is that real? So we pray that. That's, God has blessed us. At least I can look at people and say, my gosh, that is crazy, crazy blessing from the Lord. We labor and act upon the belief, the belief, so here's a profession that we have written down somewhere, all sorts of places. We write it down. We say, we believe that the word of God, that the Bible is God's word. We believe it's authoritative, that it's, he gave it to us as his communication to us. That's an amazing statement. I think we labor and we actually act upon that belief. And I, I say that with great risk to my own soul of pride. I think God has particularly this morning blessed me to not feel that pride. I, I say, oh my gosh, I feel like that's true for us. I see that being actually true to varying degrees in our life of the body that we believe that. We believe that the scriptures are primary and central in our lives for faith. The scriptures. The, this is why we preach like this. This is why we do stuff and have the Bible open all the time because we think it's central. We think it's necessary for our lives for faith, for holiness, for true humility, for brokenness, for one another, for contriteness. For love. We believe the scriptures are necessary for us to love God, for us to love one another. We think that's necessary. We don't just muster it up. There they go. For a desire to serve and lay our lives down for each other. To consider ourselves as more significant, or consider others as more significant than ourselves. We believe 
that the Word of God in our lives is sharper than a two-edged sword. We believe this is central and primary and necessary for that to be true. For you to have a heart that actually acts and believes upon this, or acts upon the belief that others are more significant than myself. How do I live that way? I believe God has massively blessed us with that reality and is increasing it in our life and need it to increase. In a word, this is the scriptural example of this, we believe the scriptures are, quote, breathed out by God. The Bible that you have in your lap, probably, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So I say we believe that. Our faith statement says we believe that. And I've been incredibly thankful yesterday and often that we do that. That God has given that to us. A belief and an action says that's, that's important. We're going to act accordingly. As a result, God has grown us, grown in our body the centrality of preaching the word during this time. When we worship and celebrate the risen Jesus, that's what we're doing. We're coming and we're celebrating and we're worshiping and we're repenting. And we believe that preaching of the word and saying what it says and applying it, exhorting us to further holiness and righteousness, that's why we do that, because the word is central. We aim to take seriously the heart of the early disciples that believed and acted upon the centrality of these things. Okay, so ultimately we do this because the Bible shows that we do this because we have this conviction from the Word of God that they did this. Here's them in Acts 2. This is what it says. I think it's verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They, the disciples, the people that have been saved recently, 120 or however many of them, they devoted themselves. They gave themselves. They devoted their lives to something. Themselves to the apostles' teachings... And to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. That's what they did. That's what the early church did. That's what they devoted themselves to. And I feel like God has blessed us with a level, a great degree of that happening. And we have far to go, and we have much to improve, but I am extremely thankful for that. Uh, Next, we try to structure our body in such a way that we're able to help those in need. We attempt ways at building the trellis of our structure that the word and the gospel can grow on, enabling it to grow strong and tall. So we have a trellis and a vine of the gospel that I think grows up it, and God calls us to structure yourselves, think about yourselves. They did that in Acts 6. They devoted themselves. They said, we can't give ourselves over to serving tables, is the phrase they use in Acts 6, the apostles. And they said, so we're going to appoint men that can do this so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so the necessary structure, the trellis and that we want our vine to grow on is important. So we labor, and God has blessed us with a desire to say, how do we structure this? How do we operate as a body that's most helpful, that's most effective to see this happen? And so we do things like community groups, and so we do things like church structure and and faith statements and all sorts of things that are not for the purpose of polity. They're not for the purpose we like writing up constitutions and we enjoy being structured and making Excel sheets and this and that, we say that's a tool that God gives. The gift of administration is a spiritual gift, you remember. Administrating is a spiritual gift for the purpose of something, primarily the gospel. God has given that to us in large measure. So I could go on and on and on, and this is just the category that I put these under. Some of these aren't, I suppose, of discipleship, of pouring into ourselves, of, of being inward, nurturing and building and training and modeling. Um, and we should do this. I think we should continue in our minds. We should count our blessings. And so we have to think. If you, if you're, if you have pause in your soul right now of this feels prideful and self-exalting, uh, rebuke that in your soul. Know that it shouldn't be, because to count your blessings, you have to actually attempt at counting them which means we have to actually think on them. And then we pray and say, Lord, make me thankful as I reflect on the blessings you've given, thankful for them, and want you to strive and persevere more. So these are amazing, and we could go on and on. God has lavished this upon us in our body. And so I just call us that we would be equally right, that we'd strain and we would strive to do this more. That we would reflect upon how we can further strive for holiness, 
further strive and see where are we less faithful, Father. So here's one of my, my main encouragement. Here's how I would say that I'm going to be speaking out of, out of a context of college ministry, but here's how I would say I want to see this happen more. I have a desire in my soul, and so do the elders, and so do most of you, obviously, that I want to see a culture of disciple-making, a culture of nurturing, a culture of pouring into one another increase. We, we have been lavished with it, and then let's pray, and let's press in to say, Lord, let's see this increase and expand, and let's do this more. How can we improve this? What does that mean? Let's, let's pray that, first of all. Let's just, Lord, do this in our body. And then I have one main encouragement as to how I think we can, how I want to press into it more. The phrase that I think has been helpful for me to describe this is personal intentionality. So this requires us individually reflecting, I think, and then as a corporate body to be personally intentional in discipleship, in making disciples, in being poured into, in being discipled from others and for others. So one, I believe this for two reasons, um, and I'll elaborate on what I mean by this, but one, my experience from college ministry and the fruit, primarily I just want to speak out of the fruit I've seen from that, that I feel like I've just been blessed with, and then two, a couple of passages from scripture that I see this personal intentionality that Paul gives in these particular scriptures towards wanting to very intentionally direct and disciple other people. So one, college ministry mindset. Uh, perhaps the foundation of how we personally do college ministry is through the personal intentionality of more mature believers into the lives of less mature believers. That is perhaps the foundation of the specific application of what we feel called to, if, for instance, on the campus of SDSU, that we say God raises up believers, and sometimes not very much more so, a senior in college isn't exactly light years beyond a freshman oftentimes, or a sophomore to a freshman, let alone, but we believe that God raises up believers to a degree that says, I want, we want to take more mature believers and have them pour into the lives of less mature believers. Through prayer, through studying the scriptures, uh, through reading, through being specific in their lives, through caring about them, loving them, getting them into fellowship, all sorts of things. That, that's what I mean. When I say personal intentionality, we want to have our, for instance, our student leaders and equip be personally intentional into a few students' lives. We think that's what Jesus did. We see that's what happens in the scriptures. Uh, one of the main ways we do that is essentially one-on-one interaction or small group interaction. That we set up something of a recurring time with a student that says, I need to be intentional about meeting with you regularly. In a college student's schedule and my schedule, it works out great to do an hour or two every single week for a couple of years or four years or however long, um, less than that, I suppose. Um, but that's just the basic of, okay, I just want to be scheduled and routine with this person, or it's not going to happen. Schedule it. Decide to be with them. Set up time. That's how we think about it. Um, small group atmosphere is also huge in that way. Um, so being personally intentional. So here's a few basic principles I chose to just draw out of this. So a more mature believer pouring into the life, as, I, as you think, reflect upon this. The reason I speak out of a college ministry mindset is because this is where I'm in. What I want you to think and reflect on is, what does this mean in my life? So take these principles and think upon them as our life as a body. Think upon them for you personally. What does this mean? Am I under this? Am I giving this? Am I ready to give this? So here's a few principles I drew out. So being personally intentional in somebody's life. One, seeking them out. And making yourself open to being sought out. So I believe with all my heart, God calls us to pour and love into other people's lives. Without a doubt, that's clearly a huge mega-theme in Scripture. And one exhortation that I think being personally intentional is not waiting, merely waiting, and hoping that someone will approach you and say, I see something in your life, I want it. That's crazy huge. But also seeking them out. Seeking those believers whom you believe to be new or to be less mature than you are. That's okay to say that. Paul said that there's some who are on milk and some who are on meat. You see what they, you see areas of need and you say, and you pray and seek the Lord I'm going to seek them out. I'm going to pursue them and say, I want to help you grow in your faith. You say some sort of phrase. You approach them with that attitude, whatever it is. So being personally intentional, I think, requires a level of seeking out less mature believers. Number two, prayerfully speaking the word of God into their lives and circumstances. 
prayerfully speaking the word of God into their life. This requires, this means more than I think when you love and pour your life into someone than just reading the scriptures and doing a Bible study. It means praying about that. It means praying for them specifically, for their specific circumstances, for their specific sins, for their specific idols, which are sins, and thinking about that intentionally and seeking the Lord, petitioning the Lord, requesting Lord, work this in their life. That requires knowing someone else more and more and more to actually pray for those things. Three, prayerfully molding a plan or vision for their faith. Prayerfully molding a plan or vision for their faith. This one I say, I say molding for their faith specifically because this one can be perhaps the more uneasy aspect that people react to thinking about making a disciple or being a discipler, quote-unquote. Um, but what I primarily mean, overwhelmingly, is knowing who they are, knowing their sin, and saying, and coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to see them grow. I want to see them conquer these sins. I want to see holiness and righteousness and contriteness grow in their life. I'm going to be intentional. So when I think about, oh, they need this, right now they're really, really struggling with the idol of marriage. I'm going to be explicitly intentional about that for a while. I'm going to be explicitly prayerful for that for a while. And so you mold a plan, a very, very flexible plan under the Lord prayerfully that says, Lord, help me to pursue and push into these areas that they especially need help. At the end of it, we simply want to be intentional in seeing that what happens, speaking into their lives a vision for life and faith because they cannot see it as well as others can. We want to be intentional in their lives. I want us to be intentional in one another's lives because others can see more clearly what I need than I can often. That's what I need. So, I think one helpful thing to be able to do is to say, I know this person to such a degree and I'm knowing them more and more that I'm able to write down literally, John or Jane Doe, here's the sins I see. Here's how he or she is blind to them. Here's some exhortations I need to give her. Here's where he needs rebuke. Here's where a book or two outside of the Bible might be extremely relevant for her life right now. To be able to be that intentional with somebody's life, to be able to know them in increasing degrees that you pray and say, Lord, what can I best do? I have found that often. This small book goes, explodes in their life. Read John's own mortification of the sin, and all of a sudden conviction comes down in a way that me saying just didn't bring. And we go to the Scriptures and we read Romans 8.13, and it just is amazing and blessed. That's intentionality. That's what that is. That's all it is. It's just being intentional. Who are they? So in a nutshell, we need people in our lives who can see what we need better than we can, and we want to be that intentional person for others as well. Because we get deceived. We get blinded. We get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is no, this is no surprise to us as a, as a body. And if you've been in your Bible long, as many of you have, sin is deceitful. There's sin in my life that I know. And then there's sin in my life that I don't even know. It's deceived me to not seeing it. And I have someone speak into my life and say, here it is. Kill it. Rejoice in the Lord of the gospel more, etc. So being intentional in someone's life, prayerfully molding a plan for a vision for their faith, which might be extremely short-term or it might be longer-term. Four, uh, doing ministry with them and in front of them. I think vital to teaching someone to obey everything Jesus commanded is engaging in the ministry yourself with and in front of others. And so what this does mean, and I feel like this perhaps is one of the most lacking in my life and my efforts to be intentional into young men's lives, is doing ministry with them, for them. It's not just sitting down and reading the Bible and saying things they need to hear. It's going out, it's evangelizing, it's loving people, it's doing that with them and modeling that for them. Five, uh, and finally, these are the five principles I thought of. Sharing yourself and your sin with them, with others. So if right now you're thinking, I want to pour into some others' lives. I want to do this more. The Lord has granted me a level of sanctification and a desire to see others grow in the Lord. How do I do that? I think one significant thing, vital, important, necessary thing, is sharing yourself with them and sharing your sin with them. A temptation for me as a ministry leader 
and who plans things is to think, I have it all together, and for what they need from me is to see this strong, confident, got it together so I can instruct them properly. I give them the right advice, and I speak what they need to hear. And there's a large amount of sin in my heart, and he started to break me of that these last couple of years to see that's, one, false for who I am. That's too ridiculous and sinful for me to think that's actually what they need. Because when I see someone who's like that, I think, crap, I'm not a leader like that. I don't have anything together like that. I don't know. I don't pray like that. And this person is modeling this false thing that they're not. So I'm broken. So I try and share my sins. I try and share who I am and be real with this person. It can be really hard to do. It can also be one of the easiest things to do and the freest things to do. And the less amount of stress to think, how do I, okay, I'm going to get with this person. I'm going to try and be intentional with them for the next several weeks or months or years. I'm going to structure this plan. I'm going to get everything they need. Here's the little books we're going to go through. Those things can be really, really good. But first, I just need to share myself. I need to share my sin. They need to see who I am. Here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. This is one of the, most, the most influential verse about this for me. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says, So, being affectionately desirous of you, of you believers at Thessalonica, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own selves, because you had become very dear to us. He was ready to share, he compares not only the gospel, the greatest thing they need, but his very own selves, his very own soul with them. If he had become very dear, very, very deep, dear friends and loved ones, they wanted to share their lives with, their souls with. We should want that. We should be doing that with each other, and we are. And I pray that we do it more. So those are my five principles. I encourage you to think on those. I, I have found those to be absolutely influential and crazy helpful in my faith, my life, as I try to say, okay, how do I minister how do I do the work of ministry to the college students on the campus, to my friends? What does that mean? How do, I, how do I love someone intentionally? How do I do that? These things have been crazy huge for me. Uh, my second reason, I think I see these in Scripture, the principles here. There's a few verses. I'm going to go through these relatively quickly. These are all Paul. I encourage you to write these down. Philippians 3.17. Philippians 3.17, Paul says this. Brothers, he says this intentionally. Join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So here's Paul. This might perhaps sound like one of the most pompous things you've ever heard. Brothers, join in imitating me. Walk this way, he says. Look at me. Do what I do. Follow me. That's what I want. I mean, on face value, that can even sound wretched. I'm just like... Why don't you say, join in imitating Christ? Look at Jesus. Look at the scriptures. Pray. Be like Jesus. Why in the world would you say, join in imitating me? Everyone, look at me and do what I do. Act as I do. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I think he does it because he is walking as Christ walked, and Christ developed the nature of making disciples that they would replicate those who pour into their lives and love them. It must be that way. It is that way, because Paul says so. He says, on the forefront, to their face, in written, say, imitate me. You want to walk as Jesus walked? Look at me. Watch my life. Imitate. Keep your eyes. Look at those who are walking rightly. You need to imitate and walk as they walk. Don't just read your Bible. Don't just open your Bible, pray in the morning, have devotional, have quiet time, and then, then God will bless you and your cause and be like Jesus. That's Crazy important. Also, look at me. Look at those who are walking like Jesus. You must do that. And he's not saying it about other people. He's saying it about himself. So Paul was very personally intentional in telling the young churches to look at him. I just find that incredibly enlightening to the kind of thing and what it means to raise up disciples and what it means to teach them to obey. It means needing, first of all, to be like Jesus yourself in growing and sanctification and then saying, follow me. Do as I do. So Paul is, not merely, Paul is not merely living a holy and passionate life, hoping, praying, trusting that the Lord would produce fruit and influence the believers in extraordinary ways. He's not merely doing that. He is doing that. He, people see him, whether he comes up to them and says or not, look at me, you should follow me, I want to disciple you. He doesn't have to always say that. That happens. He's influenced, and disciples influence, as he says, keep your eyes on those others who are following our example. That happens, but he's not merely doing that. He is being intentional on the forefront 
upfront with them to say, walk as I walk. Next verse. Philippians 4.9. I'm not going to talk as much. Philippians 4.9, Paul again says this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So I just find that incredibly, it's very, very similar, but he lists four things. What you've learned, what you've received, what you've heard, what you've seen. He could leave it there, I think. What you've seen in godly people, practice those things and God's peace will be with you. But he adds, what all these things that you've seen in me, as you think about me, I want you to imitate me, practice that. Practice what I do. Practice what I heard. Believe what I said. Believe what I gave you. Believe and and act in a way that you saw me act. That's very, very specifically intentional for Paul into believers' lives. 1 Corinthians 4.16. 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul again says to a different church, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Paul, as a sanctified and sanctifying believer and follower of Christ, doesn't just tell them, be imitators of me. He says it, these are at least a few times I've picked out a scripture. He doesn't just say, be imitators of me again to another church. He urges them. I urge you, you got to be imitators of me. Look at my life. I urge you of this. That's why I personally repeat it right now with four verses because Paul urges it. It's incredibly important that he is specifically intentional when he thinks about raising up disciples that he tells them to look at him. He urges it in their life. There is no subtlety about Paul's exhortation to believers to imitate him as he imitated Christ. He was upfront about it. He was out loud about it. He was seeking out believers and reminding believers to follow his example. These are upfront intentionality of Paul that I'm praying that is more and more and more in our body. Upfront intentionality, outward looking, outward looking to the world, but outward looking in our body. How can I do that? How can I do that? How can I do that? How can I be intentional in other people's lives? And looking for it, I need people to be intentional in my life. I need a man or a woman or two in my life for this season or for years. I need that. I need that. I don't know the scriptures. Last verse, 1 Corinthians 11.1. Just simply again, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So that's the foundation. Paul can say this without being the most pompous man in the world, the most arrogant, egotistical guy who says, I'm so great that I can easily say and urge people, walk like I walk because I'm awesome. He says it without pride because he says, imitators of me as I imitate Christ in his humility. Because what he wants is for their good. He wants their joy. That's why he says, imitate me. So a couple, one maybe, I guess, qualification. What I am not advocating, I think, more to happen more in our body, and I mean that, I don't stand up here before you guys right now and say, we don't, this isn't happening in our body, let's make this happen. That would be sinful and wrong and extremely short-sighted and naive of me, which often have a lot of naiveness and short-sightedness and pride. That it is, is happening. I want more of it. I want us to be fervent in prayer and say more, more, more intentionality. And so what I'm not advocating is you should replicate the college ministry thing. Here's what we do. We pick more or less, we prayerfully choose a handful of young men or a couple or one. We meet with them every week for an hour or two and we do these things. We pour into their lives. We speak. It's an incredible, incredible blessing. It's an incredible, I, I, can't, I probably don't feel an ounce of what I should for the thankfulness of my schedule to do that practically whenever I want. It's amazing. We don't all have that. You might be thinking, yeah, that's great for some college minister person, but I got kids and a mortgage and 50 hours plus a week at work. I can just get home just to leave my kids in devotions before I feel exhausted at the end of the day, let alone think I can meet with three or four or five men or women for two hours every week. That's impossible. It probably is impossible for that life situation. So what I'm advocating, simply, you might be sick of of me saying this, is the personal intentionality, the routineness, the regularity of your life into someone else's life, and you might not be ready for that, in fact, of someone else's life into yours. If you're not receiving what this might sound like, you need to receive it. You should not and cannot, you will be partially sinning by simply waiting in the pew and saying to yourself, I'm getting frustrated because I don't get approached and this church doesn't love me and no one loves me because no one's approaching me. Seek it. 
Seek it out. And if someone denies it, seek it again. Seek it again until you find it. So there's discipleship. Um, The next thing is much shorter. Basic exhortation about our outward focusness. So missional intentionality. Mission-minded. Outward posture. Right? We do outreach. We do this as a body. I believe we're less successful. I believe we're less faithful. Um, I think we have some sin to repent of individually and corporately compared to the nature of God's blessing and discipleship. This is just the way it is, I think, for us. This is the way it is. So we pray and we seek the Lord. Reveal to us how can we more faithfully serve you. And as we think that, even if your heart goes into despair or anger, we don't do any of that. We don't do any outreach. We don't do any missions. One, you're wrong, big time. But two, what we do, even if that were the case, what we do is we pray. What you do now is you pray and you say, thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy in our lives as a body, despite how much sin we have, and particularly in this area. You love us. And so you boldly, we boldly walk forward in prayer and say, how can we do better? Lord, help us be more faithful with joy because he forgives us of everything. So I don't, pre- I don't presume to really know where we're at in any spectrum, but I think we're further back than we are with discipleship. So here's a few exhortations. Um, and you must test this, I think. If you don't think that's true, I need you to pray, and, and we need to personally test and say, is that accurate? But, so I think what I have to say is simple, and it's not very much. I want us to press in to the unbelieving world more. I want our outward posture, without negating and forgetting the inward nurturing nature of our body that God has blessed us with and wanting that to increase, and discipleship, I want our outward posture to unbelieving world to increase. I want that. The elders want that. We all want that. We desire that. We pray that. I want that to increase. Let's engage in evangelism more. You personally, I want you to engage. I want to engage in very basically presenting the gospel to people more. Very basically walking through for weeks on end, arguing the gospel, loving people. Let's pray and be the persistent widow. Think on that, that parable, the persistent widow before our Lord, prayers for the unbelievers in our lives and the unbelievers in the city that we're in. We're not in Sioux Falls. We're not in Chicago. We are in Brookings. Let's be the persistent widow for unbelievers in our lives. More. Let's be the persistent widow for the unbelievers that we invite, that we know corporately, and be as a body outwards in evangelistic intentionality and persistent widow type, pleading the Lord he would be glorified in saving people. Let's do that more. Let's be rejoicing more, repenting more of not having that in our lives. We, we are called to this as a body. We are called to mission. We are called to an outward posture that's not nurturing, primarily. We're called to this. We are meant to be on this mission. We are meant to be in a mindset that's bent towards others all the time. We will shrivel up and die if this is not happening in our lives. The main exhortation I have on this is really just reading John 17, 15 through 19. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying the Son of God. He's praying to his Father, the Trinity, and he's on his knees, probably in my mind, and he's fervently praying to the Lord for his disciples for this. This is what part of the prayer, at least. He says this in verse 15, John 17. I do not ask, Jesus says, I do not ask you, Father, that you take them out of the world, the disciples. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And he says this, As you sent me into the world, as the Father sent the Son into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So this, this is incredible to me. Jesus compares the sending of the Father on the mission of what he went to accomplish. He went to accomplish the work that the Father gave him, the gospel. Jesus says, as you sent me, so I send them. I send them out. He says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world because I'm actually praying that you send them into the world for purpose. For many purposes, I'm sending them on a mission. This is what I'm giving them to do. And I'm going to empower it in them. As he says in Matthew, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me, therefore go. So one, two reflections. Jesus very much 
does not want his disciples out of the world, but rather protected from the evil one. Jesus very much does not want the disciples, and I would apply it to us, out of the world, but protected from the evil one. So as we think about our outward posture, and as you reflect upon your own personal outward posture and interaction with the unbelieving world, how much interaction do you have in the world, outside of believing circles, outside of fellowship? There should be a very intentionality, very intentional direction for you in your life and for us as a body. Two, Jesus sent them into the world. I just want that to sort of land in my own soul. Jesus sends us. I th- he's saying this about his disciples, about his apostles, but I think Jesus sends us as believers into the world for a purpose. So that's why we use the word like mission. We're on mission. It's not a catch, fun, catchy phrase. It's we, we do think, actually, we have something we're called to go and do. So, here's my exhortation. Let's watch our lives and doctrines closely. And let's watch our lives even closer with this in regard to the list. Let's watch this. Are we doing this? Watch your lives and doctrine closely, Paul's saying as Paul. Being extra diligent to protect, to protect our inward, nurturing, disciple-making lives, which is good, necessary, from becoming closed off, cloistered in, walled-in Christian clique, utterly separated from the lost and the needs of the unbelieving city around us. This does happen to churches. This can happen to us as a church. We can, without knowing it very well, become cloistered in, walled-in protection that we just love studying the Word. We just love being in fellowship. We just love doing these things. We're growing in sanctification, but actually gets cloistered off and our sanctification dies because we're, po- we're supposed to be living outwards as we do that. We're supposed to be on a mission, and when we're not, individually or corporately, the other, both are affected. Our nurturing dies off. Our sanctification slows or starts to go down. So God has designed that the exhortation of his children to one another serve as a means from keeping us from sinning or keeping sin from gaining a hold in our hearts. The exhortation to one another about this to one another and now, I think God has designed as a means. He says, as I quoted earlier in Hebrews 13, 3, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let's exhort one another so that we as a body might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, that we might not be hardened by the deceitfulness thinking we're doing good, we're totally fine, let's not progress. We want to progress. We want to be outward focused more. So let's press into the nature of our lives as sent ones. Let's do the work of ministry as equipped believers. Let's press toward more, I call us, uh, missionary intentionality. We are sojourners, Peter says. We are aliens in this world. And so we are all of us, every single one in our workplace or classes, missionaries for Jesus, if you want to use that word. We're on some sort of missionary mission desire to the last world. And I just say, let's press into that. Press into that more. I'm going to read a couple of verses and close, basically. Acts 4.20. This is, for me, just most fundamentally. As we think about, I, I chose not to try and come up with all sorts of applications and ideas. How can we do this better? I don't think it's probably my place. And it wouldn't be as helpful because what I most fundamentally want and what we pray for is this. Acts 4.20 says this. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I think this is Peter before the council. They bring him and say, stop preaching this. Stop preaching this about Jesus or we're going to beat you. He says, whether it's right to obey you or God, we, we're not, how does he say? I can't remember how that goes. Whether it's right or not, that's for God to say, but we, we can't help but doing one thing. We can't help it. We cannot help but speak of what we've seen and heard. Whatever you say, we have to say this. Why? Because we love Jesus. We talk about what we love. And the, to the degree that we're loving Jesus more, we talk about him. We live for him. We do things naturally out of our lives that speak of him. So if you want the basic, I think, the most basic definition of what it means to be on mission, to be doing evangelism, it's speak about what you love. And so if you're not speaking about Jesus, that's a sign, are you loving Jesus? That's what we need. So we don't need, first and foremost, here's a program and here's a plan and here's the 13 events we're going to do this year to reach out. Those might be really good. We, might be, we maybe should be doing more of those things. Those are important questions. But way before that, we need as a body to say, outward posture, I can't help but speak about Jesus to everybody. Come to church. Come to my community group. Hey, come to this thing I'm doing. Hey, come over for supper. I'm going to talk about Jesus with you. I'm not going to tell you that up front, but I'm going to. 
So I want us, our hearts to be increasing in an increasing fatuation, infatuation with Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness. It's the will of God is our sanctification, our holiness. That's what his will is. God desires for us to be holy, to be sanctified. And I think an outward posture is a vital part of that happening for our sanctification. It's not only pouring into one another and praying. It's an outward posture that is necessary for our own holiness. Here's what David Mathis says in the message that I ripped off of. Not only does sanctification lead to mission, so not only does the actual killing of sin and growing of holiness in our own hearts lead to us walking out and loving Jesus more and talking about him, but mission leads to sanctification. Going out, attempting to do what you might be terrified to do, inviting your friends, speaking about Jesus, leads to your own sanctification. I think that's true. I've experienced that to be very true. Another author says, quote, isn't it, isn't it amazing how elevating our efforts to reach others, so we want to elevate my effort, I want to elevate my effort to reach others, we want to do that as a body, isn't it amazing how elevating our efforts to reach others can be a catalyst to our own personal growth? Saying the same thing. I think that's true. It catalyzes personal growth. And I think it does the opposite when we're not. It sends us in the opposite trajectory. When I'm not reaching others, my growth knows that. Another author, Kelly Capic, wrote a short book, says this, quote, Befriending sinners is a product of true holiness, not an obstacle to it. Befriending sinners is a product of true holiness, not an obstacle to it. Jesus hung out with tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes. That's who he went to, the unbelieving world. And they called him a glutton and a drunkard and a sinner who hangs out with sinners. That's it. You're losing holiness. You're getting polluted by the, by the world around you, Jesus. You're a glutton and a drunkard. And they called him that because he hung out with those people. And so this is a dangerous thing, and especially perhaps the youth and kids, you need to be careful. This doesn't mean you go and just hang out with the roughest crowd all the time because you're on mission. But really, bad company ruins good character, however that verse goes. Right? Character. Hanging out with the wrong people can be extremely detrimental. But there is a way when you're thinking about it for their good that you must be in the lives of those that you think are the unholiest, ungodliest people. So one quick practical application and idea uh, is, is as, I, as I pray for this in my own soul, and I pray for this as a body for us, that we, that you grow these convictions. I pray that there's some conviction that lands on you from this. That you would grow this conviction out of word and out of the word and out of prayer. You wouldn't just instantly decide to start reaching people for the lost or reaching the lost with the gospel. You would pray, Lord, guide me, cause me to reflect upon this. And then, secondly, just start where you're at. It's not complicated. You, you don't need to reach some super level of sanctification to pour into somebody's life. Ask somebody you trust, hey, what can I do? Seek someone to pour in your life. Start with the people you know right now in your workplace, in your classes, and pray for them every single day fervently. Strive in prayer for them as Epaphroditus strove in prayer. He didn't just pray. I think he sweated and prayed and hours of labor. Pray for them and then share the gospel with them and invite them to things. It's, it's, it's very simple in one regard. Just start where you're at. So I'm going to pray uh, a verse and be done. This is, uh, I forget what this is. This is First Thessalonians 2, I believe. I'm going to say, let's, let's fervently pray that God would continue to give us hearts of thanksgiving. Man, I mean thanksgiving and the joyous things God has done in our body. We rejoice always. Again, I will say rejoice. In the midst of your sin and the midst of the massive sanctification in your life and our life as a body, we rejoice. And so we pray, Lord, give us hearts that rejoice. Let's continue to fervently pray for that and let's continue to fervently pray that, quote, God would make us worthy of his calling and that he may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I do pray that you would fulfill every resolve 
for good in every work of faith, Lord, by your power. Father, I pray that you would give us great joy above all things, Lord, in you this morning, Lord, that you would remove from us falseness. Lord, you would tear down barriers of hurt and of protection of our souls from letting us, our brothers and sisters, truly knowing us, Father, of distraction of life. Father, that we would come before you, let our words, you are in heaven and we are on earth. Therefore, Lord, let our words be few. Lord, that we would fall on our faces and plead for you to, Lord, give us freedom in the gospel, further freedom from sin, further freedom from brokenness and things that have been sinned against us, Lord, that we would forgive them, Lord, and that we would pursue forgiveness and and purity in our interactions with one another. Lord, I just pray that above all things, you would give us a heart for the gospel. You would give us uh, hearts, Lord, that as a deer pants for water, that our souls would thirst and pant for you. And that, Father, our lives would flow out from that, that we would be outward focused, Lord, that we would be seeking the lost, that we would be doing that individually, that we would be exhorting and encouraging one another, Lord, to do that more and more and more and more. Lord, that we would be incredibly intentional and loving and caring for one another. Lord, that we would care, I ask, for hearts that are convicted to care about the people next to us right now, Father, that they're hurting. Lord, their sins, that we would be intentional in their lives, that we would allow people to speak into ours, Father. We would allow people to rebuke us, that we would seek teachability and humility, Father, in our own lives. We would not react with pride, but with with gratitude and humility, Lord, that we could be more like you because of our brothers and sisters. So, Father, we just pray that you would be glorified in this body, Lord. We thank you for a year of blessing. We ask for another, Lord, that you would grow your body's growth, Lord, um, in the gospel. So, Father, we just pray and we thank you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.